Our reading comes to us on the week after Easter, and the events of this text take place in that first seven days after the resurrection. So let's stand together as we read this, the Word of God. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone his sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Now Thomas, called Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands, and put my finger where the nails were, and put my hand in his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Through the do- though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Then Jesus told them, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. May God bless the reading of his word this morning. G.K. Chesterton was an early 20th century intellectual. And one day he was standing on a street corner in London, and a newspaper reporter came up to him and asked, Mr. Chesterton, is it true that you recently became a Christian? May I ask you a question about that? And Chesterton replied, certainly. The reporter asked, if the risen Christ suddenly appeared at this very moment and stood beside you, what would you do? Chesterton looked at the reporter and said, he is. He is standing beside me. This is the second week of the Easter season, and we are gathered here in this place, a people who are bound by a gospel proclamation that Christ is risen. And like Chesterton confessed, Jesus is here. He is here present among us just as he promised And his word to us this morning, to you, is peace be with you. When we come to our text, we find Jesus' disciples desperate for that word of peace. This is Sunday morning, two days after Jesus was crucified. And it's Easter morning, but they don't know that yet. They have been traumatized by the death of their Lord. And they are terrified that they might be next. The Jews and the Romans 
have conspired together to kill the leader, and so why would they not continue to wipe out his followers? So the disciples, in fear, have imprisoned themselves in this house where they wait, and they wait. And they're not even sure what they're waiting for. And then, suddenly, in the blink of an eye, Jesus is standing right there in the midst of their fear and in their confusion and their doubt. Jesus is there. And he speaks to them and he says, Peace, shalom, peace be with you. Jesus shows them his hands and his side, and the disciples rejoice, for they have seen the Lord. And in that moment, the disciples of Jesus have entered into a completely new reality where resurrection follows death. It is the reality of the risen Savior. But there is one disciple, Thomas, who wasn't with the others when Jesus appeared. Thomas, who, after everything that happened on that horrible Friday, the sorrow and the suffering of it, drew away from his community. Maybe in the darkness of it, he needed to be alone. So while uh, the disciples are experiencing these new realities of God's uh, resurrecting mission that's unfolding before them, Jesus giving them the Holy Spirit, sending them out, while they're experiencing all of that, Thomas's mind is still on the cross, still thinking about the crucifixion, still thinking about the thorns and the nails and the tomb. So Thomas inhabits this space. It's a space that is after the cross, but it is before the resurrection. It's a space after tragedy, but before the experience of peace and hope. It's a dark place that he is in, and it's very lonely. Now his friends do find him, and they are so eager to tell him what happened. I love how First John put this from our reading this morning. They're so eager to tell him what they have heard, what they have seen with their eyes, what they have looked at and touched with their hands concerning the word of life. We have seen the Lord. He appeared to us. He spoke to us. Jesus is alive. But Thomas just doesn't buy it. It sounds too good to be true. It sounds like wishful thinking. Jesus is alive. No. No, he is not alive. I watched him die. I know what occurred. Jesus isn't going to let his, I'm sorry, Thomas isn't going to let his friends draw him into this fantasy that they are living in. He's not going to let them erase from memory the crucifixion like it never happened. Because what they are saying does not match what he saw and what he experienced and what he knows to be true. What they are saying sounds like a denial of reality. 
unless I see the holes in his hands and put my finger in the nail holes and stick my hand in his side, I won't believe. I can't believe it. What kind of doubt is this that Thomas is in? It, it's not the kind of doubt, I think, that we typically associate with Thomas. See, he's called Doubting Thomas, like he has been our mascot for all kinds of Christian disbelief. Every time we worry about whether or not what we believe is the truth. When I was in college, a friend of mine and I went out to get some coffee, and uh, we were talking about all sorts of philosophical things. And then he got very serious, and he looked at me, and he said, I need to tell you something. This is something I have never told anybody in my life. He says, I get a thought that it just pops in my head sometimes. And, you know, it's kind of like when you get a rock stuck in your shoe. It's there, and, and you know it's there, but you try to ignore it, and you can't. That's what this thought is. And, well, here it goes. What if everything that we say that we believe about God and about Jesus and about Scripture, what if it's not all true? What if we're not the ones who have it all figured out? And he kind of looked at me like, you think I'm crazy, right? And I have to tell you, I was absolutely stunned by hearing him say all of that. Because he had perfectly articulated thoughts that I had had, that everybody has. We don't always say that we do, but most people do from time to time. He and I were participating in an ancient and time-honored tradition that we call doubt. And for people like us, Thomas, well, he's, he's our man, right? I mean, Thomas is the, the disciple who doubted. He's the one who struggled with his faith. But that's not really what's going on with Thomas here. It's not like Thomas has read a Christopher Hitchens book and is now all of a sudden worried, like, maybe Christopher Hitchens is right, you know? Or, uh, I wish I had more evidence. Or, how do we really know? Now, all of that kind of wrestling, that kind of struggle, that's good, and, and that's, you know, that's necessary sometimes. But that is not the struggle that Thomas is having right now. What's happening to Thomas is this. In a matter of hours, everything Thomas thought he knew about life, about the future, about Jesus and God, all came crashing down around him. And he's shocked by it and saddened. But Thomas is also trying his very hardest to come to grips with it and to face this reality as it is with boldness. Thomas's response that he won't believe, that he can't believe, that takes a kind of courage. It takes courage to see the world the way it is and to face the scandal of brokenness and tragedy without hiding behind a wall of easy and pious-sounding answers. Because saying Jesus is alive when we all know that he died, that sounds like an easy answer. It's the kind of courage we see in Thomas in John chapter 11. 
Uh, If you'll remember, uh, Jesus and the Jews had just been run out of Jerusalem by a mob armed with stones. They've gathered to a place where they're safe. But then they hear that their friend Lazarus is sick back in Bethany. Now, Bethany and Jerusalem are, are like two miles from each other. They're practically the same town. And so the, the, the question gets brought up, are we going to go back? Because if we're going to go back and see Lazarus, we're walking back into the belly of the beast. Jesus delays for a couple of days, and everybody thinks it's because of the danger. But then they get word that Lazarus has died. And Jesus says, let's go back and see the family. Jesus is calling his disciples to follow him back into a place where people are just waiting for them to show up. And so Thomas, Thomas knows the score here. He understands what's going on, and he says, let's go, and we will die with him. You're leading us to death, Jesus, and guess what? I'm in. That is the kind of courage that Thomas has. And so Thomas's statement that he can't believe in the resurrection, it's, it's not just doubt. It's, it's also a kind of faith. It's a faithfulness to the world to see it as it is and not as we want it to be. Thomas is a realist. And that's the reason why the disciples' testimony about Jesus sounds so unbelievable. Because it's unreal. This space that Thomas is in, between the cross and the resurrection, between doubt and belief, this is, all a, this is a space that we all inhabit from time to time. I've been here for a couple of years. And in that time, people in this congregation have been forced into that space week after week. We have been diagnosed with cancer. We've lost health. We've lost jobs. We've lost homes. Some of us have lost marriages. Some have lost sobriety. Uh, Children have lost parents, and parents have lost children. And for some of us, when we enter that space, we are the G.K. Chestertons of the world. We see Jesus right there with us. The scars on his hands and the wound in his side reminding us that not even the Son of God was spared from pain and heartache. And for some of us, Jesus' risenness is a present reality. We reach out in faith and we grasp the nail-scarred hands that lead us through the valley of the shadow of death. Jesus, who himself dwelt in that place between death and resurrection, leads us out of the darkness. Some of us have that kind of faith. And that kind of faith is a gift from God. It's what Paul calls the faith, the gift of faith given by the Spirit in 1 Corinthians 12. And that kind of faith moves mountains. And if that's you, if you have that kind of faith, then God bless you. Because God is going to use you to keep pointing the church back to the power of the risen Christ. Here's the thing, though. You can't pass from the cross to the resurrection without receiving scars. What I mean is this. 
Anytime you go through a time of weakness, of doubt, of anxiety, of mourning, sinfulness, whatever it is, it hurts. Life just hurts sometimes. And so we bear the scars of that. We get embedded in our memories times when our strength gave out. And when we've reached the limits of our self-sufficiency. And when we discover what it means to rely on God's grace and on the strength of Jesus. And those moments are good moments, but they leave scars. And it's a good thing that they do. Because while some of us never waver in our belief, there are others of us, like Thomas, who get stuck. And then, who gets stuck in that darkness. Brendan Manning describes this as the time when tragedy makes its unwelcome appearance and we are deaf to everything but the shriek of our own agony. When courage flies out the window and the world seems to be a hostile, menacing place, it is the hour of our own Gethsemane. And for those of us who find ourselves there, We need to remember, you should know that you are in a place, in a community of people who are all bearing the scars and who have seen the resurrection. And what this means is that as a church, we need to be willing to let people see our scars. If you're like me, you have been formed by a lot of different people in your life. People come and go, and they have an impact, and, and they shape who you become. There was a, a, one particular friend of mine, during an important moment in my life, a moment of crisis and doubt, I sat down with him, and he said, I'm going to tell you a story. And he opened up his heart and drew me into a story of brokenness and pain and sin. I was almost embarrassed at how open and vulnerable he was being with me. About how freely he showed me the wounds that he had suffered in life. And then, after all of that, then he told me about God. About surrendering to the embrace of our beloved Father. And about learning slowly what Paul was talking about when he said, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the sharing in his suffering and being conformed to him in his death. My friend showed me what that meant. He showed me his scars, scars that he earned by facing the mess that his life had become with boldness and crucifying his will in order to follow Jesus. And finally, learning very slowly how to rise with a new life. He had passed from that space between the cross and the resurrection. But the great thing was, is now he was stepping back into that space, reaching out his hand to get me and to help me through it. Now, I had grown up in church my whole life, and this was the first time that an older man, somebody who was well-loved, well-respected in the congregation, invited me to see the reality of his life as it truly was. And he did it because he knew that I had to see that. I had to know 
the truth of life in its brokenness if I was going to believe in the power of Jesus' resurrection. That's the kind of belief that Thomas needs and that he's not going to compromise on and that he's waiting for. So Jesus does appear, this time in the presence of Thomas. And he says, peace be with you. And then, and we often read this as an admonition. I don't think it is. I think this is a gentle invitation. He says to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and and put it in my side. Don't doubt, but believe. And Thomas answers him, My Lord and my God. You have seen me, Jesus answered, and because you have seen me, you believe. And for you, you who have not seen Jesus, but believe, who have faced tragedy and sorrow with courage, You've boldly taken the world as it is, not as you think it should be. And you've relied on the strength of your community and on the strength of Jesus Christ, who is present here and among us here this morning. To you, Jesus has a word for you. Bless you. Bless you. If you're in that place this morning, You don't have to be there alone. There are people here who have been there. Our leaders have been there. And so as we sing this song, they're going to make their way to the sides of the worship center, and they are there for you if there is anything that you need. So let us come and worship our Lord and our God.